It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. My name is Nico Bakulich. And my name is Lauren O'Neill. And we're about to get biblical. Let's get biblical. But before we do that, we have a couple things we need to tell you. They're very important, so shut up. They're listen. not important at all, but I'm the ex-Christian. I was raised Presbyterian. I'm now an atheist. And I'm the non-believing sort of Jew. Also, I apologize for telling you to shut up just a moment ago. Also, this is not a Christian Bible study <laughs> podcast, nor is it appropriate for children. And that's not our fault. That's the Bible's fault. My Bible has study notes about whether or not angels can fuck, and we didn't put that in there. The Bible did. That's right. It's our responsibility to discuss it, but it's not our fault. What book are we reading today, my dear? My dear, we are reaching far back into the dustbin of history Aha. and digging out a crusty piece of Apocrypha <laughs> for everybody to uh, rub their grubby mitts on. Oh, wow. That Audio. sounds so enticing. <laughs> gospel of Mary. That's right. I didn't actually say it. Apocryphal but. Gospel of Mary, not in the regular Bible. Uh, do you want to hear some friggin' fast friggin' facts? I would like to hear fast facts, although I understand that you'd like to break the format this week. Um, yeah, so... Slightly. I mean, we can so, still do fast facts. I'm going to start with fast facts, okay. then I'm going to segue into slow facts. Okay. Um, probably going to spend, you know, a few minutes in the etymology corner. Um, it's just going to be like all the like nerdy stuff that everybody hates. I'm just going to subject everyone to that for a while. Okay. Sounds great. Okay. So, Gospel of Mary was a Gnostic text. And all we have left is just some tiny little fragments of it. Most of it is lost to history. Mm. Uh, the the fragments. History, that bitch. That bitch. It's done it again. Uh, the fragments that we have are like really small. Like it takes like 10 minutes to read. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't discovered until 1896 when someone found it literally in a hole in the wall. Uh, bound together with some other Gnostic texts, which seems to be how most Gnostic texts were discovered. They just seem to tie Tie them all together and throw them in a cave for a thousand years. You got to think that that's a problem with their approach. With their approach to scripture. Yeah. If, <laughs> if they're all of their best ideas, they were like, let's write them on leaves that are easily destroyed. And then throw them in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then even after it was discovered, nobody really paid much attention to it for a while because it was just these tiny fragments that didn't really make much sense. Um, and then in 1945, the Nag Hammadi Library was found, which is another uh, codex of bound together Gnostic texts. This one was buried in a jar. Mm -hmm. So good job, Gnostics. Um, and then that uh, jar, the wall of glasses. <laughs> Great. That metaphor was so beautiful. And I think it really illuminated uh, everything to our listeners. Uh, but so once, so the, the Nag Hammadi library, I don't think has any more material from God, the gospel of Mary in it, but it just gave people some more context about Gnosticism. And so they could look at the gospel of Mary and make more sense of it. Mm. So even then though, it wasn't really until the 1970s that there began to be a lot of like scholarship around the gospel of Mary. So this is like very, very new mm. in terms of biblical history. The titular Mary is Mary Magdalene, not Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mm. And I think to understand this apocryphal gospel, 
that we need to talk about Mary Magdalene in the canonical Gospels first. Okay. So, first of all, there's a problem. Are we in slow facts now? Yeah. Okay, cool. Just making sure to, so I can drop in that little edit mark and cut out all of this. <laughs> okay, great. Um, there's a problem, which is that there are way too many people named Mary in the Gospels. <laughs> um, it's the English version of Miriam or Mariam, mm-hmm. which was the name of Moses' sister, if you remember. Apparently a very popular Jewish name at the time, mm-hmm. so it's easy to get them confused. So, okay. Obviously, you have Jesus' mother, Mary. That's uh, She was the one that was super buff when she was a baby. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the main thing that people know Yeah, about that's her. the main thing people know her for. Um, then you've got minor mentions of Mary, mother of James, and Mary of Clopas, who may or may not be the same person. Okay. Um. Then you've got Mary Magdalene. Here's what the official canonical Bible says That's about good. I'm so Mary happy Magdalene. to have you here to remind us of this stuff. Doing the hard work that I simply cannot be bothered <laughs> So, So, first of all, do you know what the name Mary Magdalene means? Mary Magdalene. Um... Trick question. There's no way you could possibly know this. It means she's from the town of Magdala. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, Magdala means tower in Aramaic. So it was Ooh. probably a place where there was a tower. Lovely. See, that's the richness of history. Right there. <laughs> um, she is part of Jesus's like entourage mm-hmm. along with the 12 disciples and some other women. Um, in one gospel, which is Luke, it says that Jesus drove seven demons out of her. I remember that. But that's just one gospel. right? And then also maybe in Mark in like the the contested ending bit of mark Mm. but that was like added later so her main deal in all four gospels mary magdalene is present at the crucifixion with some other women who are also named mary the women um yeah like just like mr t and when isn't it dr t (laughs) dr t yeah mr t and the women would be a different thing (laughs) that would be a completely different movie um arguably a better film and then she goes to the tomb with some other Marys or whatever, uh, and and an angel appears and tells them that Jesus is risen. Then Jesus appears, tells them that he's risen, and he instructs them to go tell the 12 disciples. And then, depending on which version of which manuscript you use, two or three of the Gospels also include the detail that the disciples don't believe them. Mm-hmm. They don't believe the women. And Jesus has to show up in the flesh and be like, it's really me, dum-dums. I sent Mary Magdalene to tell you this. I don't know why you didn't believe her. Mm-hmm. Okay, now temporarily forget all that. Done. And remember another woman in the Gospels. She's in the town of Bethany, and she anoints Jesus with a jar of pure nard. Oh, yeah. Retirement nard. Lady. nard. Yeah, retirement nard. And some of Jesus' followers get mad because, like, this is this expensive perfume and Mm -hmm. they could have sold it and donated the proceeds to the poor and jesus says i'm only here on earth for a minute yeah i'm like gonna get crucified like tomorrow (laughs) aren't i worth it yeah um and so actually what she's doing is like really very holy and beautiful in one gospel luke it says she's a sinful woman Mm. and that she's weeping and washing his feet with her tears and with her hair right um as well as the nard the hair hair washing i remember being very fetishistic (laughs) yes um and in that version in that one gospel the objection is not that they could have sold the perfume it's that Jesus is letting this sinful woman touch him Mm. as if they hadn't been fucking paying attention for a well, this is the Any, Pharisees. This is the Pharisees. Oh, the exactly. Pharisees are mad about it? In in Luke. Oh, okay. In that case, fuck him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's assumed, I guess, that, that the sinful... Apologies to all the Pharisees out there. <laughs> the sin is presumably sexual. It, it never specifies. It doesn't mm-hmm. say she's a prostitute or anything, but that's like the reading, the official reading. Um, and then... Well, the Pharisees are Old Testament guys. So when you're messing with people's feet, they know what they know what that means. They know yeah. what that means. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, then in one gospel, John, which is you know the only non-synoptic gospel, so it's a little different from the other three. 
it says that that woman's name is also Mary Mm. and that she is the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who, of course, Jesus raised from the dead. Uh, And in that case, she's named Mary of Bethany because Lazarus was raised in Bethany. Jesus was anointed in Bethany. Got it. She's Mary of Bethany. Was there a tower in Bethany? No. (gasps) You checked? No, but it was like a suburb of Jerusalem. There was no tower there. Okay, fair enough. There's like a couple, from what I read, there's a couple like possible towns that could be Magdala. In fact, there's one now like in modern day Israel. I think it's in contested territory and it has an Arabic name and it's like El Mejdel, Mm -hmm. which is like the Arabic version of the tower. Um, Regardless, in the early church, people conflated these two or probably three women, Mm. which is Mary of Bethany, like Lazarus's sister, Mary Magdalene, and the sinful woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair and a big old jar of nard. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that was good enough for the early church to say that Mary Magdalene was a repentant prostitute and that she did that in addition to being present at the crucifixion and being the quote-unquote apostle to the apostles. What uh, apostle? What does that mean? It means that she was the one who had to tell the the twelve apostles that Jesus was risen. Yeah, but it's that's so dumb because they didn't believe her anyways. Well, yeah, but it's like she had this really important role, right? Um, that <laughs> that they didn't like let her have, but that was like one of her um her early titles. Got it. Apostle apostles. to the apostles. That's pretty cool. Um. Although, could you couldn't you see? from an early church standpoint that you got to make sense out of all of these conflicting gospels and why not just make it all one character because one is named mary of bethany and one is named mary of magdala so it's right there in the names that they're not the same person (laughs) um quick detour into the etymology corner the word maudlin meaning you know something that's like overly sentimental Uh or sappy comes from the word magdalene because it's it's associated with her weeping. Hmm. Um, and it doesn't seem overly sentimental to weep at the death of the <laughs> Lord and Savior, Jesus well, Christ. Well, so Mary Magdalene, as Mary Magdalene, is depicted as weeping only once in the Gospel of John mm-hmm. um, at the tomb. But it's it's associated with the unnamed sinful woman. I see. Weeping I see. and washing the feet that she can't even like wash her lord's feet without fucking breaking down crying yeah so that's that's where it's we pathetic. get modeling what is he you know inspiring some sort of religious awe i know right her? like <laughs> oh so he's god incarnate come to earth Just don't like be so dramatic <laughs> yeah. Just women um this became semi-official catholic doctrine pope gregory the great in 591 oh. said they were the same woman what did he do that he was so great um i know like honestly um the council of trent a thousand years later mm-hmm. um said that you had to celebrate mary as a penitent sinner and not as the apostle to the apostles they didn't correct this until like the 60s like the 1960s like the vatican vatican ii they were like oh uh Guess that's not really the same person. Whatever you can celebrate Mary however you want. Because before the Council of Trent, in whatever it was around fifteen hundred, um, some churches were like, "Yeah, apostle to the apostles," and some were like, "Yeah, weeping sinner." Mm-hmm. But then they were like, "Nope, we gotta, we gotta standardize this." In reaction to the Protestant Reformation, which was like, "Hey, grace." Doesn't matter about your works, just your faith. And they were like, no, 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 you got to be repentant. You got to weep. You got to say your fucking prayers. Maybe buy an indulgence or two. I don't know. I'm just suggesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just an option. Yeah. That's like penitence is what's important. Okay. And they used Mary Magdalene as an example of that? Yeah, because as as the penitent prostitute. As the unified character, Mary Magdalene. Yes. Where she reformed from her... Yes. Prostitutin ways. Yeah. Or tootin ways. <laughs> toot toot. Mm-hmm. To be. To become. To become the apostle to the apostles. Yes. That is a great redemption arc. You got to admit. I mean, yeah, but then they like cut out 
the redemption part. And they were like, no, you have to celebrate her as like a penitent sinner. Like she's weeping. Forget about all this. Like forget that she was at the crucifixion when the disciples were too cowardly and all ran away. Like just, we're talking about her. She's on her knees. She's crying. You know, that's how we want to think about Mary Magdalene. Um, I don't think it's ever been official Protestant doctrine. I don't know. I mean, there, is there official Protestant doctrine? Well, the, you know, I don't know if like Martin Luther laid anything down about this or whatever. I don't know if he like cut some tracks about Mary Magdalene. <laughs> I was going to say. Um, but it is certainly widely believed. I thought like I thought Mary Magdalene was a prostitute mm-hmm. um, or the, like the Bible said she was until I think it was like my 20s when I learned that the Bible doesn't say that. Mm-hmm. Maybe my late teens, but I think it was in my 20s. Um, and so, of course, some feminist scholars have proposed this idea that the church kind of slandered her uh, in order to deny that women could have roles of authority, mm-hmm. that women could like teach men or that women might be, you know, have a connection to Jesus directly, mm-hmm. um, that women could be clergy. Obviously, the Catholic sure. Church doesn't allow that. Um, so, of course, first I want to say that. You being... apologize unreservedly. <laughs> For the sins of the Catholic Church. No, um, what I want to say is that being a sex worker is not something to be ashamed of. And, like, I find it a little ironic that some feminists, like Christian scholars, like, she wasn't a prostitute. And it's like, well, a prostitute can still follow Jesus. Like, that's not. In fact, he made a point of reaching out to people that were rejected by society because of their work or because of their position. So, um, and also, like. That's the best version of that story, I think, the one in Luke, where where it's not like the problem isn't, oh, we could have donated this money. It's mm-hmm. like Jesus is having bodily contact with somebody and he's not afraid of her. Right. And like the establishment can't handle that. They're like, like she's not holy. Yeah. Like she's not pure or whatever. You have to go to a temple prostitute. Right. Not one of the street <laughs> prostitutes. <laughs> um, so, I mean, like, I think that lady rules really hard. But she's not Mary Magdalene. It's different, different person. Right. Uh, I mean, it is pretty awesome to blow your retirement nard by like pouring it on. <laughs> um, so like Mary Magdalene's main role is that she's present at the crucifixion when all the other disciples go run and hide. Mm-hmm. And when Jesus comes back from the dead, this act that, you know, changed the cosmos and like saves humankind. Yeah. That breaks, tells, breaks all the rules, despite the fact that other people have brought people back from the dead. Well, but he brought himself back from the dead. Well, didn't his dad bring him back well, from the dead? Well, kind of, I guess. These people are always coasting on their daddy's money. <laughs> these people? <laughs> these these demigods t- are always coasting on their dad's reputation. Well, I thought it was a Jewish thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Don't even say that. The, the climate is not right for that. <laughs> Two years ago, you could make that joke and everyone would be like, ha ha, that's funny because Nazis were defeated in 1945. Nope. Turns out, nope. Anyway, seems like a pretty big deal, this role that Mary Magdalene had. And it's remembered as part of the Easter story. Like, it's definitely in there always when you tell the Easter story. But I do think it seems like oddly downplayed. Like, I think that the way that the story is related in most churches and in popular culture is just kind of like, Oh, yeah, like there were some women there to help with the burial and like a maternal or like caretaking role because like that's what women do. And so they just kind of happened to be the ones who were at the tomb. You Because they were grieving because, you know, yeah. women love to grieve. And they were going to like, you know, do all the the traditional stuff that they needed to do to prepare the body and all that stuff. Um, But like, I mean, an angel appears and tells the women what happened. Like... Why didn't an angel go tell the disciples? You know, it's a great question. Why? Why did Jesus decide like, no, this is for Mary to do. You know, I'm trusting her with this. And also, like. The disciples don't believe her. Why isn't it ever discussed that like Mary Magdalene was braver and had stronger faith and that had like a better understanding of Jesus than the disciples? Yeah. In this instance. Yeah. You know, that's. That's like never highlighted. And if Jesus washed the feet of tax collectors and. Yeah. And that was like the focus of his ministry. Disabled people and whatever. But 
the apostles weren't gonna like prepare his body for death yeah that's true that's interesting i actually hadn't even thought about it from that angle but something that really stands out to me in the gospels is how physical jesus is Mm -hmm. and how he's touching everyone yes and it's very important to him and like even the stuff that we make fun of about not washing your hands right right it's all in service of like i'm not afraid of sin right i'm here to deal with this shit and the people that are closest to it like can gain the most by achieving grace or whatever um that is interesting and so then like these are the women who are not afraid to touch a dead body. Right. They're not afraid to become ritually unclean. Right. Yeah. To clean him like his family, even yeah. though they're not his family. Yeah. Which I think is I think is how you're supposed to do it. Like That's, your family is supposed to yeah, clean up the presumably, body. Presumably, yeah. traditionally, yeah. That's a really good point. Um, so those wusses wouldn't even clean up <laughs> Jesus' yeah. body. And so then... And then when we talk about it now, it's like, oh, isn't it nice? Like this nice crying prostitute did this thing. And, you know, Jesus was really nice to her, even though she was like a gross sex worker because he's so nice, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it's like, well, he just fucking rent the cosmos asunder. Like, and he chose to tell Mary Magdalene first. You know, isn't that isn't that a big deal? Isn't that doesn't that deserve more than like, oh, that's so nice. Of it should him. be a huge deal. I mean, it should be kind of the exclamation point on the story, you know. Right. So it might even be like he loved breaking the rules like we were talking about, like embracing the people that are unembraceable. That even when he has died and broken the final rule Mm -hmm. by coming back, Mm -hmm. he's going to do it in his own way. He's going to be like, no, I'm not going to talk to the apostles. I'm not into like the normal power structures. I'm telling my dear friend, Mary Magdalene. I'm telling the person that loves me the most. Yeah. That has shown that she will touch my dead body and will not run away from me when I'm crucified. Mm -hmm. But never get that perspective in the in the, you know, current (laughs) version of Christianity. Um, But, of course, we know that in the early church, there were many versions of Christianity. Mm -hmm. I mean, there still are, obviously. There's still like a million. Yes. Um, But back then it was the fucking Wild West. Yeah, it was the Wild West and and uh, what we now call the proto-Orthodox church uh kind of won this battle and stamped out all these other weird factions and one of those was gnosticism and uh the gospel of mary is a gnostic text so i want to just give my quick rundown of gnostic beliefs um this is of course a little bit simplified and overgeneralized because there were lots of branches even within gnosticism but uh basically they believed there was a perfect holy god and uh, from him emanated these uh, emanations or eons. That seems natural. Like uh, truth and wisdom. And then from them came slightly lower level emanations and so on and so forth down the line. But one of these emanations, wisdom, decided to make her own emanation somehow. And it ended up as this horrific miscreant known as Yaltabaoth or the Demiurge. And the Demiurge is the god who created earth and who the old testament is about but he's actually this fucked up shitty god and that's why the world sucks yeah it's some unholy mixture of like jewish mythology and christian theology and, and then like greek roman philosophy. greek yeah and so then Not jesus... unholy. unholy is a bit unfair <laughs> well fair uh jesus was sent from the true god aka the godhead uh to give us this Secret knowledge that the world is just this grotesque illusion. And if you learn this secret knowledge, then like you have this spark of the divine in you. And so then you can rejoin the true God in the perfect real heaven, which is called the pleroma, which is Greek for fullness. And gnosis is the Greek word for knowledge. Hence, they're called Gnostics. Um, and the Gnostic- Which is, if you ask me, a bit braggy. A bit braggy. <laughs> so the texts that we've read so far by Gnostics have not been um, particularly feminist. They've not been particularly woman positive per se. They've been, I mean, they've been like human negative, I'd say. Yeah, so they're very anti-sex. Um, we've seen in several Gnostic texts that people who are married are not supposed to have sex. Like no one's supposed to have sex even if you're married. 
Um, and they're also very anti-body mm-hmm. um, because the body is just this gross, you know, meat sack that was created by the Demiurge. And you've actually got these more pure emanation versions of yourself, like the soul and the spirit. Yes. That coexist. You have with a you. spark of the divine yeah. inside you that needs to get back to the to the pleroma. Um, and in fact, they were so anti-body that they thought Jesus did not actually have a physical body. Um, and he just like projected this illusion and was just like hologram Jesus. Yeah. Um, Which I I love the audacity of that. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, we've seen in multiple Gnostic texts that like the image of like, oh, Jesus is uh, being crucified and then his soul is up like hovering above the cross laughing mm-hmm. because he's like, haha, this doesn't actually hurt me because I'm just a hologram. It's crazy to me because one thing that I think I've learned from reading a bunch of this, not a bunch, but some of this early Christian stuff is what people do to try to make a religion more relatable mm-hmm. or try to make it more accessible to, to people's lives. You know, like all the folktale stuff about, you know, young Mary and young Jesus. It's like people want to learn how they got there. Yes. You know, simple storytelling techniques to help people get closer to a story and and feel like they have ownership of it. The Gnostics do the exact opposite yes. of that. Yes, <laughs> yeah, totally. Where they're like, no, even though all these stories say he was a real person and had a body and did things, yes. he actually didn't. And, and also, he's part of this insane clockwork construction that you cannot possibly understand. How would that like, not make you just be like, get the fuck off my porch Well, because right that's part of the whole deal, right? Like, So Gnostics often, it wasn't like you went, you were like in Ephesus and there was like a proto-Orthodox Christian church and a mm-hmm. Gnostic Christian church. Christian church the Gnostics were like hiding in the regular churches and having these little secret societies and being like you know only really smart people can understand this or rather only people who truly have a spark of the divine in them can understand this and not all humans are like that some humans are just like these these terrible like clay automata created by the demiurge anyway Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll actually tell you about the Gospel of Mary. Yeah, we'll take this newfound knowledge, and we're going to synthesize it with the Gospel of Mary. Now that you're going to be like, like synthesizers. That's right. Yes, great. Like Stranger Things. Mm -hmm. Like Stranger Things. Yeah. Okay. See you in a minute. Bye. Okay. Bye. Welcome back to Sunday School Dropouts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Nico. And we're talking about the Gospel of Mary. And we've wasted the whole first half talking about something else. But now we're going to talk about the real fragmentary text of the Gospel of Mary. We just have a few tiny little giblets left to (laughs) us in history. (laughs) Um, And so we start somewhere in chapter four. Mm. Um, At some point... In chapters one through three, Jesus apparently got crucified uh, and got resurrected, and now he's giving some last words of advice to the disciples. Mm. Um, And it's all very Gnostic, mystical-type stuff. Um, There is no sin, but it is you who make sin when you do the things that are like the nature of adultery, which is called sin. Right. That is why the good came into your midst, to the essence of every nature, in order to restore it to its root. Yeah, the apostles ask Jesus about the sin in the world. Yes. And Jesus says, there is no sin in the world, except the ones that you have created. Right. (laughs) Which is accurate. I mean, to be fair. Uh, True. True. Um, Matter gave birth to a passion that has no equal which proceeded from something contrary to nature. Then there arises disturbance in its whole body. It's basically, I don't know, it's just this stuff about how, like, the body is an illusion. Everyone's got to go to the pleroma, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And then Jesus gives these uh, parting words that are like, you know, keep following God, 
keep preaching the gospel. And then it says, quote, he departed. So traditionally, Jesus, you know, ascends into heaven. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, maybe for Gnostics, he just blinks out because he's a hologram. That's true. Uh, Disappears. Transmission ended. Yeah, transmission ended. Uh, So then the disciples start crying and they're saying, you know, how can we go on without Jesus? If they crucified him, how are we supposed to stay alive? And then Mary Magdalene stands up. And unlike in her traditional maudlin portrayal, she's the only one who's not crying. And she says, you know, don't cry. Uh, Jesus gave us what what we need to move forward. Um, Interestingly, the way she phrases this is he has prepared us and made us into men. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because obviously she is a woman. Um, And Peter says, Mary, sister, we know that the Savior loves you more than the rest of women. Tell the words of the Savior, which you remember, which you know, but we do not, nor have we heard them. Mm. And she's like, hell yeah, I'll lay some secret noses on you. Mm-hmm. But then the fragment ends. <laughs> so we we cut out and then we cut back in in chapter eight uh, with Mary still explaining the secret knowledge that she got from Jesus. And, she seems uh, to have a whole lecture prepared. Yes. And guess what? It's boring as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's like so. regular Bible, but like unreadable but like boring yeah uh you know she's describing it's not like regular bible but it is unreadable (laughs) she's describing how a soul gets into heaven it seems like and uh it seems like a soul has to go through a bunch of different levels where different kinds of emanations ask it questions and it has to give these like secret spy answers you know like in the movies when it's like it has to yeah it has to know that the elderly dutchman smokes only on tuesdays right exactly it's like yeah uh ducks fly in the winter you know and then the other person's like yes ducks fly to the south and you're like definitely and then you know that's the person then you fuck then you that you gotta fuck Mm um (laughs) wait (laughs) wait how do spy movies work (laughs) um and apparently the knowledge the knowledge gets harder as you level up mm-hmm. in, in Mary Magdalene's telling. So, for example, she says level three is ignorance. That's the emanation that you got to deal with. And ignorance asks, where are you going? In wickedness are you bound, but you are bound. Do not judge. Okay, cool. Uh, Wasn't and, really a question. I know. <laughs> and then the soul answers according to Mary that's Magdalene. What, that's something I got to say. I'm just going to put everybody on blast here. If you say something is a question, but then it's a statement, I hate that. <laughs> You're wasting time at this reading. Uh, this is a two-part question. It's more of a comment. <laughs> <laughs> so, first of all, it's not a question. <laughs> also, whenever they interview like sports people after a game or something like that, and they just say a statement and then put the microphone in front of their face, mm-hmm. I'm always like, what the fuck kind of interview technique is that? <laughs> now, the sports people are always very good sports. That's why, that's why they're in sports. That's why they're sporters. Yeah. And they just spit out whatever garbage they're supposed to say about, like, giving a thousand... 110%. We all played as a team, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, and, like, Yelta by Oath. Yeah, the Demiurge. Great leader. Um, But I'm always irritated because I'm just like, ask them a goddamn question. question." Anyway, that's rant over. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I just have to get that off my chest. I mean, don't we all? It's like Mm -hmm. we're all sick of watching sporting professionals have to deal with these inept media personalities it's just a bizarre dance where you just say something and then the other person says something and then it's not a conversation yeah there's no people just say things like they gotta other. get terry gross wow. on the sidelines <laughs> and then she'll be like what did it feel like when you knew you were going to lose uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know and then they would have to like take and that question seriously the athlete is like some dutch guy that's playing on an english soccer team who speaks weird version of english and he's going to be like saying some heavily accented version terry gross is giving interviews in england in your version uh yes yes yeah cool uh regardless mary magdalene says that the soul has to answer this particular eon with the following answer which also is not an answer by the way (laughs) uh why do you judge me although i have not judged I was bound, though I have not bound. I was not recognized, but I have recognized that the all is being dissolved, both the earthly things and the heavenly. 
uh-huh. and then so then bam, soul gets to level four. Oh, but don't get too excited because level uh, four is the emanation of wrath, and the fourth power took seven forms. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then we have to go through a whole thing. So, regardless. Uh, so pretend that we go through all this. This is things. why the Gnostics had no friends. Yeah, because it's fucking annoying. <laughs> so pretend we went through all those things, and then Mary finishes her sermon, and she says, "Well, actually, actually, it says like she finished the sermon quote since it was to this point that the Savior had spoken with her." So, so she may not even know the he whole. He only story. coached her to level four. <laughs> what the hell? Well, she was. She had to go in for extra sessions. She's only at Wrath, and she's the most advanced one of anybody. Like, how is anybody supposed to get to heaven? I mean, she was saving up money. She was doing extra shifts to make sure she could pay for the extra coaching sessions she needed to get to level 5. Pay for all that nard. (laughs) Well, Jesus was saying, you know, once you get to level 5, everything will be different. Everything's going to be different. So, she ends her sermon. And then the disciple Andrew says, say what you wish to say about what she has said. I, at least, do not believe that the Savior said this, for certainly these teachings are strange ideas, which, fair. Straight up. Fair. True. Now, Peter, Peter was the one who originally invited her to talk because he said that Jesus loved her more than all other women. And now he says, did he really privately speak with a woman and not openly to us? Are we to turn about and all listen to her? Did he prefer her? To us? So how are we supposed to read that? That the first time he was being sarcastic when he asked her to tell us the hidden knowledge that the Savior granted you and Well, no I else? think on the surface level, the idea is just that he was like, yeah, you're like the best woman, but obviously women are inferior to men. But then she has all this hidden knowledge. And then and he's, he's like, like that's what? not okay. Yeah. But I think symbolically, maybe mm. it's supposed to be like um, Peter is like the Orthodox Church. Mm. And... He is the rock that the church was built on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's like the first pope, yeah. et cetera. And I think that it might be like this Gnostic idea that actually you're not the authority. Mm. And there's a different type of authority that you don't recognize. That the, he thought he had control. And yeah. so he asked her for some. But then, uh, so Mary starts crying. And she's like, how could you say that? Did you say Mary starts to crying? She starts to crying. She commences to crying. Because I like that. Uh and she's like, you know, do you think I'm lying? Why would I lie? How dare you? Mm-hmm. And Levi, a.k.a. Matthew, steps in and he's just like, okay, Peter, chill out. You've always had a hot head. Yeah. Do you think you know better than Jesus? Mm-hmm. The direct quote is, Peter, you've always been hot-tempered. Now I see you contending against the woman like the adversaries. But if the Savior made her worthy, who are you indeed to reject her? Surely the Savior knows her very well. That is why he loved her more than us. Rather, let us be ashamed and put on the perfect man and separate as he commanded us and preach the gospel, not laying down any other rule or other law beyond what the Savior said. And that was that was a part of the earlier lecture that just survived in the uh, in the clip was that right before Jesus left, he said, and you will set down no other law. I'm not sure if that is exactly in the Gospels. I don't think so. I don't think so either. But in this in this version, right before he left, he was like, and you will set down no other law than what I have said or what I have told you. And then uh, the book ends with the sentence, and when they heard this, they began to go forth to proclaim and to preach. So it's interesting. It's settled. It's settled. Yeah. It takes this idea from the canonical gospels that Jesus did give Mary Magdalene some knowledge mm-hmm. before he gave it to the other disciples and that they didn't believe her. It's a different uh little nugget of knowledge in the canonical gospels versus here but same uh, dynamic but here it kind of rewrites it um in a scene that a gives her a very important role not just that she knew first that jesus was risen but that jesus gave her like these special advanced spiritual techniques that the others didn't get and b matthew solved the problem and he tells the other people to stop being sexist pricks mm-hmm. and then they all they're good you know there's yeah. not like jesus doesn't have to reappear and be like come no, on actually i told listen. i already told mary magdalene why can't you guys you know right. it's just it's solved and they go forward and they preach but of course there is this one very juicy line in there which is when levi says he loved her more than us mm-hmm and uh, if you ask, 
renowned author Dan Brown, uh, author of international bestseller The Da Vinci Code. Oh, I remember that. This obviously means that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were clearly married and they had children and those children carried on Jesus's bloodline, which means that they themselves are the Holy Grail. Um, if you want to hear more about our thoughts on uh, the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> yes. Listen to the Da Vinci Code episode of I Don't Even Own a Television. Yeah. Top Notch Podcast featuring us. Featuring us. <laughs> um, but so you, the listener, may be wondering, okay, what's, you know, what's the non-stupid version <laughs> of the Gnostic Mary Magdalene stuff? A good question. One we should be asking ourselves at all times. What's the non-stupid version of whatever it is I'm consuming? So there's also... What's the non-stupid version of this? I This show? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm simply too dumb. In addition to the Gospel of Mary, there's a Gnostic Gospel of Philip. Um, and it's a whole bunch of really dense Gnostic jibber-jabber. Sweet. Uh, but there's one passage in there where it says Mary Magdalene is the companion of Christ. Mm -hmm. And it says that he kissed her. <gasps> Um, but the passage is very fragmentary and there's a bunch of holes in the papyrus, like literal, just like holes in the paper where mm. it's written. Um, so here's how it reads if you don't fill in any of the words. Wisdom, whom they call barren, is the mother of the angels and the companion of Christ is Mary Magdalene, the more than all the disciples. And he kissed her on the the other him, they said to him, why do you more than all of us? The Savior answered and said to them, why do not I love you as I do her? Yeah, sounds like Robo Bible to me. Yeah, so scholars fill in the missing words with educated guesses, but, you know, like, who knows? So, you know, it kind of seems like, okay, the disciples are saying that Jesus loves Mary more than he loves them, uh, but that's far from being certain. Mm -hmm. um, it's very unclear what the kiss means. It's usually filled in as like he kissed her on the mouth. Mm. But I mean, Judas kissed Jesus. That's true. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, there's there's no reason why that has to be interpreted as romantic. Um, And of course, there's a lot of branches of Gnosticism. So who knows how widely this applies. But in all the Gnostic texts that we've read. Married people aren't allowed to have sex. <laughs> so, like, it wouldn't matter if they were married because they wouldn't be allowed to have sex. Yeah, it's weird. Um, a lot of Gnostic texts will talk about male and female as kind of yin and yang uh -huh. situation. Um, you know, like two halves of a whole or whatever. The proto-Orthodox church was like, you know, well, clearly that means that the Gnostics are having orgies. Like, there's no other way to think about male and female joining together. Like it can't, it couldn't possibly be metaphorical. It couldn't possibly be about uh, women being equal to men. It's just, it's definitely orgies. And so that was like one of the ways that they succeeded in shutting down the Gnostic uh, branches was by saying that they had orgies. Um, I don't know if they actually believed that. It's possible they just made that up because they were trying to get rid of the Gnostics anyway uh, because of all the stuff about how like, the God in the Old Testament is a horrible miscreant and Jesus is a hologram. Right. Uh, which kind of goes against like... Jesus is <laughs> a hologram. Jesus is a hologram. Okay, you're not going to keep going. That's cool. Uh, okay, so it's the like 200s or 300s. Uh, the Proto-Orthodox defeat the Gnostics by saying that they're having orgies. They become the dominant strain of Christianity that's passed down to us today. But the Gnostics don't totally disappear. They're still little isolated Gnostic pockets. What are you going to pick? Gnostic pockets. Mm -hmm. So When Gnostics on a bagel, you can have Gnostic on <laughs> Yep. Is that right? And a couple hundred years later, in the 600s, this one group of uh, like neo-Gnostics or like Gnostic revivals. Don't like the sound of that. Uh, gets starts to get pretty big in Armenia. And then that spreads to Bulgaria. And then that spreads to Europe. So in the 1100s, this is, you know, a thousand years after the original Gnostics. You get this group called the Cathars in 
northern Italy slash southern France. Have you ever heard of the Cathars? I mean, maybe in passing, but I've never understood what that exactly meant. Well, they uh, they probably didn't even have these Gnostic texts that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Those are probably lost to them. But they, they follow this Gnostic belief that, uh, you know, the world's a terrible mistake. The body is inherently evil. Uh, they don't do communion because they don't believe that Jesus had a body or blood. Makes sense. Um, they don't eat meat. They don't have sex. Wow. Uh, and interestingly, they see women as equal because physical bodies are meaningless. We're all genderless. Um, and why and, would your soul have a gender after right. all? Right. They didn't really have like a priesthood as much. Um, they just kind of had this like one higher level that you could get initiated into mm-hmm. called the perfecti. That's <laughs> um, quite the claim. I know. <laughs> but women could do that initiation. Cool. Um, and they also believed that Mary Magdalene was an important disciple, mm-hmm. an important teacher. And according to one Catholic monk at the time, they believed that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were married. But the reason that this Catholic monk came into contact with the Cathars is that the Catholic Church, of course, regarded them as heretics and uh decided they all needed to be killed and so you had the the cathar or albigensian crusade in the 1200s which killed them all wow um so this monk you know take him with a great assault because <laughs> he was on the side that that killed them all um so this is the only possible recorded instance of a sort of gnostic sect believing that jesus and mary magdalene were married but even then they were like a no sex after marriage branch. So, which has a certain kind of problem uh bringing new people to the fold. Yes. <laughs> that's true. Yes. But I mean, they had They've somehow, got an image problem. Well, you know? but they had somehow like kept going for a thousand years. Yeah. Well, I think the, the 1200s in Europe were an especially dim time to like be alive. I mean, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. But the question is where did all this Da Vinci Code, Holy Grail, bloodline shit come in? I didn't ask that question, but Where, go ahead. No, I mean, this is the question of our listeners who have read the Da Vinci Code, which I assume is all of them because it was an international bestseller. <laughs> Are you actually working for his publicity company right now? <laughs> no, I'm actively working against it. I mean, this is just this this idea came into like the pop culture mainstream with the Da Vinci Code hmm. that you know, that Jesus might have been married to Mary Magdalene and they sure. might have had children yeah. and like their bloodline, you know, their descendants went on to be the Merovingian kings. One of you them know? might have been Audrey Toto. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, like the there's a whole thing like the Merovingians that's mentioned in the Matrix, like blah, blah, blah. Um, secret societies, creepy sex rituals, you know. Man, totally. The Matrix and the Da Vinci Code were exactly the product of the same time. Mm hmm. I wonder what it was about that particular point in history. We we don't have enough um, perspective to yet. to judge it properly to yet. Tell. But there's something about that moment in history that created those those two seemingly different but very similar things. Well, here's what I can tell you about it. Nobody thought this before the late 1800s, mm. and also it didn't become popular until like the 1970s. So this is like. This is not an ancient secret that reaches way back. This is a very new thing. But way, way back before the Cathars, in the 900s, there was this church in France in a town called Vézelay. I could be pronouncing that wrong. You're doing great. I believe in you. And uh, they originally claimed to have uh, relics from Mary Magdalene, you know, like a, a piece of her finger bone or whatever. Sure. Um, you know, just like Catholic Love churches. Relics. Love relics. Claim to have mm-hmm. from all kinds of saints, you know, all around the world. Um, but then over time, they expanded that to say that the church was Mary Magdalene's burial site. Wow. And then they expanded that to say that after Jesus was crucified, Mary Magdalene traveled to France and, and lived the rest of her life there. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all, but this- sure, go for it. But this whole huge tourism industry grew up around this. So they would have, you know, tourists from all over Europe coming to make this pilgrimage to this to this one cathedral. And 
three separate popes affirmed this and said, yes, this is where Mary Magdalene was buried. Mm-hmm. And this is like her actual burial site. But that had nothing to do with her being married or having children with Jesus. It was just like she independently, well, with some other women, with some other Marys, like went to France. So then centuries later, some people were like, you know, oh, okay, Mary Magdalene, France, Cathars, Gnosticism. And then once you actually dug up some Gnostic texts, that just, you know, fanned the flames and then... Of course, once you believe in a conspiracy theory, every fact that you encounter, you find some way to weave it in. Totally. So then starting in the 70s, you get all these books about the topic. You get the Da Vinci Code in 2003. Uh, and then in 2012, someone found a uh, a little fragment of a scroll or a little fragment of papyrus that had the sentence fragment. Uh, Jesus said to them, my wife, because they had recently seen Borat. They had recently seen Borat. Yeah. And that got a huge amount of press, but of course it turned out to be a forgery by a creepy man, a creepy German man. Whose <laughs> story is like actually unbelievable yeah, it's, and bizarre. It's very strange. <laughs> and if you want to read more about it, there's a story in The Atlantic by Ariel Sabar. It's from a few years back, but it's... It honestly seemed totally fake when I read it the first time. It's, I like yeah, couldn't it's, believe it's like, how bizarre it was. How could this possibly have actually happened? And especially in the, what I gather is... is the very staid and sober world of biblical yeah. academia. Yeah, they managed to trick a like leading Mary Magdalene scholar mm-hmm. who has like one of the most like prominent like divinity studies posts in the entire United States. But anyway, Ariel Sabar, The Atlantic. Crazy story. Jesus's wife, look it up. So it's crazy to me that 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 Atlantic story reminds me now having actually read the gospel of mary like i think when i read that at the time i hadn't actually yeah, you didn't know anything about the bible didn't like, know anything blah, blah, about blah, the bible yeah. etc it's crazy that that it's so easy to like upset the the order of things yeah by just introducing like minor tiny variations like the big problem with this fake story was that it contained this extra magical sentence but there were yes. these whole texts like the gospel of mary back then that presumably were full of objectionable material. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's about wish fulfillment in mm. a way. Like, I I would love if this were true and Jesus were married and they had kids. Like, I think the church would be way less sexphobic, you know, if Jesus were known to be married with kids, which is what Jewish clergy did back then. Yeah. You know, like the, the Catholic celibate, priests thing is kind of an aberration totally i mean in the in the old testament to be like a virtuous man of the community you were supposed to have a wife and kids yeah you were supposed to have as many kids as possible um and i mean like protestants went back to you know clergy can be married and also that eventually that women could be clergy but like the fact that that's cut off in the catholic church is dumb Mm -hmm. and it would be great if we could find a like legitimate source that said, oh, yeah, Jesus was married, like the historical Jesus was married, you know. Also, the, the whole story of Jesus coming back and telling Mary Magdalene something specific that he didn't tell any of the apostles, you know, mm-hmm. and giving her the final piece of the puzzle or whatever. Not necessarily the piece of the puzzle, but just like delivering a bit of wisdom to her that he hadn't given to anybody else yeah. and being like, no, you have to deliver it. And that's the final lesson yeah. before I leave. Yeah. That is like an important narrative shift, I think. Yes. And I and think, like, I think you should take it seriously. It's in the canonical gospel. I know, I know. But, but nobody pays attention to right. it. And so like this book is interesting in that it's like, no, 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 you got to pay attention to it. Right. Um, I mean, I really like it. If only because it it really accurately portrays like this experience <laughs> that every woman has had where it's like, no, I know what I'm talking about and I'm just as smart as you are. But like men don't believe me, mm-hmm. you know, and that's in the canonical gospels, too, to an extent. But this this gospel really. No, that's elaborates. On if you it. want to go 2000 years back in time and hear someone like belittle your ideas at a meeting. Yeah. It's like mansplaining like 2,000 years before the term was coined, you Mm -hmm. know? I think Um, we're already there, but I think we should. Yeah, I think it's time uh, to write this book. Write this book, yeah. 
I'm going to give it six out of eight secret spy codes. Okay. Um, I just, well, <laughs> I generally don't really like Gnostic because like it's boring and, and stupid. Like, we can yeah, say it's, it's unnecessarily complicated. Yeah. It's just like you don't need that. But in this one instance, you kind of do need it in terms of the gender dynamics. Mm. I think that's just so realistic. <laughs> you know, it's just like an accurate portrayal of trying to be a woman in a male-dominated field. Um, and for that alone, I it think it's... It is remarkable how contemporary just the the exchange is. Yeah. Where somebody's like, hey, tell me the secret thing you know. And then somebody else is like, this is bullshit. I'm not listening to a woman to a talk woman. about this. And then someone's like, hey, it doesn't matter if she's a woman. Did Jesus like her? Then she's fine. You know, like somebody has to like intervene and solve the problem. Yeah. And some white knight motherfucker yeah. has to <laughs> roll <Exactly>. in. <laughs> virtue signaling all over the place <laughs> um i just think i think that's nifty what do you simply nifty what do you want to rate this book it's really hard for me to give this you know conclusive rating considering we have just a tiny fragment oh yeah that's true too <laughs> so we're really only rating the fragment i want to be clear about yeah. that obviously luckily we didn't get all the boring shit in the middle about all the <laughs> the soul leveling up through all the that's eons because otherwise it'd be like a two out of eight and be like boring <laughs> But I'm going to give it like 16 or 17 out of 28 rest mm-hmm. of women mm-hmm. on that one. Because while it does illuminate some things about the uh, the Gospels, especially as Mary's involvement is concerned, mm-hmm. like that she got knowledge before any of the apostles did about his return. And it makes you think about like, hey, why didn't Jesus just go talk? To the apostles, right? If he wanted them to know, right? He had a reason for telling, for like making her the messenger. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. However, the text itself, because it's so fragmentary, and you can tell, like you just said, that there was a bunch of Gnostic garbo in the <laughs> that we were spared from for some reason. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that was because that was the easiest part for people to forget. <laughs> people were like, eh. Like let's just let's just save the juicy bits where Peter's like I don't like women. Yeah, so it's tough. we don't need the shit about souls leveling up. That's the only reason it's tough for me to give it top notches because it's like not really like a whole piece yeah, yeah. itself, but it's very realistic in its uh, in the nasty and petty ways that women are treated. <laughs> in it. So how about that? That is. You gotta, you gotta admit that's one of the most interesting things about the Bible is reading people being petty from two thousand years ago and being like, eh, "It really is. Hey, we're it still really like that. Is. It really is." But that'll do it for today's episode of Sunday School Dropouts. We're not gonna do a mailbag this week because we don't have time, but we'll be back at it next week. That's right. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Sunschool Drop. Same URL on Facebook. If you want to send us mail. We would love to hear from you, especially if you have stories about Bible, stories about your life. Stories about Bibble. Stories about... Stories about Yarlif. Yarlif. Um, stories about your pets and friends. Your furry ones, that is. <laughs> Curse and blossom. You can email us at contact at sundayschooldropouts.lol. That's L-O-L not dot com. Sundayschooldropouts.com is still a place where, as far as I can tell, only bad people and... Monster Boys go. <laughs> it's true. Um, I'm on Twitter at Lauren E. O'Neill. O'Neill spelled with an A, like Shaquille spells it. And I'm on Twitter at Nico Bakulich. N-I-K-O-B-A-K-U-L-I-C-H. You could also go to Nico's website at NicoBakulich.com and see all of the amazing musics that he's made for this show. That's why I always give him a thank for doing music, sound engineering, and editing. You're very welcome, my dear. We also want to thank Elise Carlton for our original logo and art, as always. You can also buy our t-shirts at tpublic.com slash sundayschooldropouts. That's tee.public.com slash sundayschooldropouts. We'll be back next week with more Sunday School dropping out. Uh, There's Bible left Uh to be had. Great. And we'll have it. Okay, we'll see you on Sunday. Hello, bye-bye. Bye-bye.
This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. You know when you're really stressed or not feeling so great about your life or about yourself? Talking to someone who understands can really help. But who is that person? How do you find them? Where do you even start? Talkspace. Talkspace makes it easy to get the support you need. With Talkspace, you can go online, answer a few questions about your preferences, and be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. If you're depressed, stressed, struggling with a relationship, or if you want some counseling for you and your partner, or just need a little extra one-on-one support, Talkspace is here for you. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance, no problem. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com.